Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that my latest book, Dwell on These Things, is now available in stores and online. The book is a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And if you're up for that kind of challenge, I think you'll find the book helpful. I think now is a great time for us to replace feelings of discouragement with a sense of God's goodness, to practice seeing ourselves in the loving way God sees us, to exchange negative self-talk for gospel-saturated truth, and to learn to face each day with hope in our hearts. There's a link to the book in this episode's description, and if you want to take a sneak peek at the first three chapters, just head over to DesireJesus.com and take a look. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Good evening and welcome to our weekly Bible study. We're grateful to have you with us. And tonight we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 7 and we're going to work our way down to verse 21. So it's a little bit of a a longer section in 1 John that we're going to be looking at this evening. But we're going to be talking about the fact that Scripture reveals to us in this portion of Scripture that God is love. Now, I hear that phrase used quite frequently. That's something that I hear commonly, that God is love. I've seen plenty of bumper stickers that say that. I've seen plenty of t-shirts and other paraphernalia and and posters that say that. And it's true, and Scripture tells us that. But sometimes I think people think that means one thing when Scripture actually reveals to us that it means something even better than what most people assume that means. And so tonight, as we look at this portion of Scripture together, and uh, we have guests, by the way, from Colorado, we have guests from Pennsylvania, uh, we have a guest from Washington, D.C., we also have New Hampshire, we have Pittsburgh. So we, we've got, um, we're, we're zigzagging around here uh, today, mostly East Coast, Uh, But we've got guests from a variety of places, and so that's always exciting to be able to join together and to study Scripture together like that. Uh, But they're joining with us. They'll be part of our discussion in just a little bit as we look through this. And those of you that may be listening to this either via the recording or through uh, the the video that is produced afterward, uh, we're always happy to hear from you and hear your feedback as well. So thanks for joining us and being part of the uh, Bible study that we do together. So again, we're in 1 John chapter 4 tonight. We're going to start with verse 7. And uh, let me give you a little background as I do each week as we prepare for our Bible study. The, the, the book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John around the year 90, so around A.D. 90, from the city of Ephesus. And this was before John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And when you look through this book, and we've been seeing this as we've been working our way through this book, you can see the things that John was trying to accomplish. He tries to help bolster the faith of believers. He's also trying to correct false teaching. And that was a real problem during the era of the early church. It's a problem in our day and age as well. False teaching is not something that was unique to their era, but, but John was trying to correct false teaching. And you can see the way he did that in some of the things that he brings up in this portion of Scripture and in this book in general. 
But throughout the course of this letter, you see a variety of things stressed by John. He stresses concepts like having fellowship with God, so we've seen that in previous chapters. He also talks about the need for believers to confess our sin. He talks about this idea of loving God. We're going to see that tonight. We're also going to see this idea of loving one another. That's emphasized in great detail in the scripture we're looking at tonight as well. John talks about the idea of knowing God personally, and he also wanted to make sure that his readers understood that Christ was divine, that Christ is God in the flesh. And John acknowledged that in this portion of Scripture, but he was also trying to help the early church to to wrestle with that and to understand that in its fullness. Now, in tonight's passage that we're about to look at, you're going to see the Apostle John teaching about the nature of God's love. So we're going to see some examples of that. We're going to see more detail about the nature of God's love, but he's also going to talk about how his love is demonstrated among believers. And one of the things that I find particularly encouraging in this portion of Scripture is uh, the long-term effects of abiding in the love of God. What are the long-term effects of abiding in the love of God? There are long-term positive effects that you and I will experience as we abide in the love of God. And John demonstrates that for us in 1 John chapter 4, the section that we're looking at tonight. So this is a variety of things that are brought up in this portion of Scripture. So we're going to dig in right now. And uh, before I read verses 7 through 12 of this passage, I just want to let you know that here he talks about this idea of the motivation for loving one another. So when I have, when I'm doing something, when you're doing something, there are things that, that clearly motivate us to do what we do. And here John is going to talk about the motivation for loving one another. So let me read for us this portion of Scripture, and then uh, I'm going to talk us through this here. But he says this, starting with verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So some of the concepts in that portion of Scripture that I just read, so I read verses 7 through 12 of 1 John 4, and some of the concepts that John is stressing here in this portion of Scripture, you can actually see elaborated on in detail in the Gospel of John. You, You could also see some of these things spoken of earlier in this epistle, earlier in this letter, but he wants to emphasize these things and go into some additional detail in, into the motivation that we have for loving one another. And he starts his section off by saying, beloved, so he's using this as a term of affection. He's saying, church, you know, I love you. You, you, you uh, express love for one another. You love me, beloved. He says, let us love one another. He's saying, let the culture of the church be love. Let the, the atmosphere of the church be one of love. And he's not just talking about affection for one another or infatuation. I think a lot of times when people use the word love, they're really just talking about some sort of emotional infatuation. But here he's talking about actively seeking what is best for somebody else, 
even at great personal cost to yourself. That's what biblical love is. That's the kind of love that John is talking about here. So when he says, let us love one another, he's saying, let me actively seek what is best for you. Let you actively seek what is best for me, even if it costs us something. And he says, so beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. He's saying that this is a response. This is an active response that we are taught and empower. We are taught by God to do, and we're empowered by God to accomplish for love is from God. And he says, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, when you go back to the Gospel of John, one of the things that Jesus made a point to do during uh, during his earthly ministry, and, and John records it, is to explain the concept of what it means to be born of God, what it means to be born again. And that confused his original hearers, and some people find that confusing even now when they first hear it, because when Jesus first expressed that, the thought was, among some people, they thought, what is he getting at? I mean, he's not, he obviously can't be talking about a physical birth here, because how could somebody be born in, you know, this, the same way that they were once physically born? It doesn't make sense. And what Jesus is saying is that, that yeah, you were physically born, but, you, but that was a, a physical birth. That was, in a sense, a birth of man. But here he says, whoever loves has been born of God. So here he's talking about the spiritual birth that we experience as we trust in Jesus Christ, where we come alive spiritually, where we are awakened spiritually, where we are made part of the family of God. It is a new birth, a spiritual birth. And he's saying, whoever loves has been born of God. So meaning if we're loving with the kind of love that's being spoken of here, a love that's empowered by God, that's a demonstration, that's evidence of the fact that we've been born of God, and it's evidence that we know God, not that we just know about God, but that we know God personally. And here he's saying anyone who does not love does not know God. So if somebody will not actively seek what is best for another person, even at great personal cost to themselves, well, they're not demonstrating love, and they're showing that they don't know God, because if you know God, you're going to be inspired to do the things that the Lord inspires us to do. You're going to be inspired to follow his example and to utilize his power and to think like he thinks, because John says here, because God is love. God is the perfection of love. One of the Lord's attributes, and some people really wrestle with whether we should call these things attributes or perfections, so whichever word you you feel is, you know, better to use as far as uh, the just the theological meaning of that. You know, John is saying God is love. So God is the perfection of love. His attribute of, of love, or the fact that God is loving, is something that's on full display in the way that the Lord demonstrates that to us. God is love. And, and it, when you look at verse 9, John shows us how God has demonstrated this in the most visible and most powerful way. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Well, how if something's made manifest, that means it's something that's made visible. It's something that's made apparent, something that's made uh, known to us in a very obvious and tangible way. And John's saying the love of God was made manifest among us. And the way that God did that was by sending, he says, that God sent his only son into the world. So we have Jesus Christ sent into the world, demonstrating to us in powerful ways 
that God is love and that God demonstrates that love toward us. And so he's saying, so that we might live through him. And then when you look at verse 10, it says, in this, in this is love. And we're going to come back to verse 10 later when we have some questions here. But he says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So that's an interesting statement. And he's, he's talking about the fact that God is the one who initiated all of this. And I think that that's key to notice. So please notice that in verse 10, because we're going to revisit that concept in just a few minutes. But here he says, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't typically use the word propitiation. That's not a word that flows off my tongue. That's not a word that just rolls off my lips and, and, and comes out in conversation. But what that word actually means when John is saying here that uh, God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, what he's saying is that, that Jesus Christ has satisfied the righteous wrath of God the Father that was against us. So we were living as enemies of God. We weren't living as friends. We weren't living as his family. And because we were living as his enemies, because we were steeped in our sin, his wrath was, we were under his wrath, Scripture reveals to us. We were under the wrath of God. But Jesus came to satisfy the wrath of God by taking that wrath upon himself. The, the Son took the wrath of the Father upon himself. That's what it means when it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He satisfied the, right, the righteous wrath of God the Father that was against us, and he took it upon himself, the righteous for the unrighteous, and he did that in love. And so in verse 11, it says, Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's basically saying, look at the nature of love that you have been shown. And if God's willing to love you to this degree, if God's willing to demonstrate love to you to this end, we also ought to love one another. Because how much of a chore is it to ask us to do the very thing that he has done for us? And obviously, we can't even do it to the degree that he has done it. But he says, look, I've demonstrated love to you. Now you ought to love one another. And then John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So there's a demonstration of, of God that you can see God in somebody by the way that we choose to love. If we love in a godly way, if we love in a Christ-centered manner, we're demonstrating the presence of God, and it becomes that becomes a very visible thing, a very noticeable thing. It's the idea of the love of God being made manifest, the love of God being demonstrated so people can see that. And there are people in my life that have demonstrated the love of God very clearly. There are people in your life that I'm sure have done the very same. And John is saying this should be the pattern in the early church. Let us love one another. So lots to chew on in those opening verses, in verses 7 through 12. But let's jump to the next section here, because here in, in verses 13 to 15 of 1 John chapter 4, I believe that John is inviting us to ask the question, who do you confess Jesus to be? So he develops the thought here, and he says this in verse 13. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
very powerful portion of Scripture. But here he starts off with verse 13, and he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Now, if we, when you're noticing that word abide, please just kind of draw that to your own attention uh, for just a second, because that's a key word that John is emphasizing here. And it's the idea that we remain in him. It's the idea that we be rooted in the Lord. And, he, and so he's saying, you know, by this we know that we abide in him, or by this we know that we remain in him, or by this we know that we are rooted in him, and he in us. So just think of your life being so tied to the Lord, and so anchored to the Lord. And how do we know that this is the case? Well, we know this, the scripture here tells us, because he has given us of his spirit. So we experience the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. I also love the fact that in this in this chapter of Scripture, you have all three members of the Trinity referenced. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all referenced in 1 John chapter 4. And even here, when you just look at, uh, at verses 13 and 14 of 1 John chapter 4, you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit referenced. But the Holy Spirit, he testifies to our hearts. And here John is saying, by this we know that we abide in him, meaning we have absolute confidence that we are rooted in him and anchored in him and remain in him. Why do we have this confidence? Because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he is speaking to us and assuring our hearts of that truth. And then verse 14, John says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus was sent into this world to rescue and to save. There's only one other instance in uh, John's writings, I believe, where he refers to Jesus in that capacity. And uh, I believe, and I'd have to double check this, but I was looking at this recently. Uh, I believe it's in John chapter 4. And, um, and here you have John referencing this yet again. He says he sent his son to be the savior of the world. Jesus is the only available Savior. Now, not everybody will trust in him. Not everyone will experience salvation because there are plenty of people in this world who are ambivalent to Christ, and even though they may know of him, they don't care to trust him or follow him. Uh, and there are some people in this world who know of him and choose to reject him. And so Jesus is the only available Savior, but he, the, the only ones who will experience his salvation are those who actually have genuine faith in him. And so John expresses that when you look at verse 15. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So who do you confess Jesus to be? Well, what John is trying to say here is that Jesus is divine. Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. And if if the uh, if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, he says that God abides in us, and we abide in God. So our life is anchored to our Creator when we recognize who Jesus is, when we trust Jesus Christ, when we not just admit that he exists, but when we confess that he's our Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, and uh, and we know him in a personal way through faith. And that's what John is getting at when he talks about these things in this portion of Scripture. So I think it's worth us wrestling with, who do you confess Jesus to be? Do you know about him, or do you know him personally? Do you confess that he's the Son of God? Do you understand that, that through him creation was made? Are you anchored 
to the Father through Jesus Christ. These are the things John wants us to wrestle with, and that really comes down to who we confess Jesus to be. And if he's off at a distance to us and not someone we know in a personal way, that's something we need to wrestle with immediately. Now, John goes on to to talk about the application of this, and he tells us a great benefit that comes to us as we are anchored and remain in and abide in our Lord. And it's this idea of overcoming unhealthy fear. So I'll, I'll just ask this as a question. Are you still holding on to unhealthy fear? If so, look at what it says in verses 16 through 18. John says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if you're still holding on to some level of unhealthy fear, I'd encourage you to wrestle with what John says here in verses 16, 17, and 18. He says here, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So are you confident of the love God has for us? John certainly was. And he says, we've come to know this. We've come to believe this. And he also, again, stresses again, Uh, that God is love. And he says, whoever abides in love abides in God. And so what he's saying is that that if if we're remaining in and if we're rooted in godly love, that shows that we are rooted in God himself and that that God is abiding in us. But I like what John also says in verse 17, because he says, by this is love perfected with us. So when you see that word perfected there, there's a good synonym for how John is using this in this passage. It's the idea of love being matured in you or in me. It's the idea of love having its full effect. He's saying, by this is love perfected with us. It's maturing in us. We We are in a process of demonstrating this with clarity as the Lord empowers us to do so. And he says the result of that is that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. So it's kind of fascinating to see that John brings this up. And it's also kind of interesting when you consider the fact that soon after this, John was going to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write out the book of Revelation, and Revelation speaks a lot about judgment all throughout the course of the book. But here he says we can have confidence for the day of judgment. Well, why can I have confidence, and why can you have confidence for the day of judgment? Well, we can have confidence for the day of judgment because there's no fear in love, like he says in verse 18. Now, there is such a thing as a healthy fear. Scripture talks about the fear of the Lord, so there is such a thing as a healthy fear, and that means that we revere and we respect the Lord. But here John's not talking about that reverence and respect for the Lord. Here he's talking about fear of eternal condemnation. And he's saying there's no fear in love, meaning if you abide in Christ and Christ abides in you, you know that he has been the propitiation for your sin. You know that he has satisfied the Father's righteous wrath that was against you, that was against your sin, that was against your rebellion when you were living as an enemy of God. 
But now that wrath has been removed from you because Christ, it's been placed upon Christ as Christ took it upon himself. So now there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And when the day of judgment comes, that doesn't need to be a day for those who, who remain in the Lord, who remain in God and, and God abides in them. That's not a day that, that we are filled with trepidation about. It's certainly a day we respect. But it's a day where we recognize that because Christ really did take the righteous wrath of God the Father upon himself, that when we come before the Father, we're not going to be condemned. That's not a day of condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. All those who are in Christ Jesus are are going to be able to look at that day with delight, even though it's a day that we certainly have respect for. But here he says, perfect love casts out fear. It's not a day that we need to fear. And John says why. He explains. He says, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Meaning if you're fearing that day, it, it seems to demonstrate that your faith is not very mature. You're, you're the love of God that should be demonstrated in you and, the, and the, the fact that your heart should be assured by the love of God. We're not seeing that demonstration in its fullness yet. If, if you're approaching that day with fear. But if you can approach that day with confidence in what Christ has accomplished on your behalf, that's a day that you don't need to fear. You don't need to go through your life fearing that day if you are confident in who Christ is and what he's done for you, and you're genuinely walking with him. And so that's what John's getting at here. He's saying, he's saying yeah, for those who are distant from the Lord, certainly that's a fearful day. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ, who are abiding in the love of God, that's a day that, that isn't one that automatically needs to stoke up an unhealthy fear. So we don't need to hold on to an unhealthy fear. But then there's one other thing he brings out here, and he's trying to wrap this all around to what it looks like to apply these truths on a day-to-day basis right now in the midst of the church. But he's basically asking us, you know, what does it mean to love your brother? And then he demonstrates it. He says in verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, there are people that I have dealt with over the course of my life that challenge me. There are people that I've dealt with over the course of my life that I find a little bit off-putting, and that's maybe a polite way to say it. There are people in my day-to-day life that sometimes really rub me the wrong way. And yet that is no excuse for me not to demonstrate love. One of the most distinctive things about the church is that we as the church are called to love one another because it's a powerful testimony to this world of the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life, even in marriage, in the context of marriage. Uh, One of the great demonstrations that we are allowed to give to this world of the love of Christ for his church is the love that's demonstrated in marriage. And so here John is saying, look, we love because he loved us first, but you can't say I love God and then hate your brother. If you hate your brother, you don't understand the nature of the kind of love you have received from God. And it's impossible to, to truly mean the statement where you say, I love God, but then effectively say, I love God, but I hate all his children. So if you love God and you hate his children, it's basically like saying, you know, I, I, I hate God's family. And if you hate God's family, I question the nature of your relationship with God. You know, if somebody, um, somebody just earlier today said something very complimentary of one of my sons, 
And I have to tell you, it made me feel very good. It made me feel loved as someone complimented my son. He was doing something woodworking, uh, you know, just helping to build cabinets. And uh, the person said, you know, when I met your son, I could tell good things about him. And he he elaborated on some good things about my boy. Well, I got to tell you, the compliment was about my son. It wasn't about me, but I have to tell you, it made me feel like the person loved me too and uh, loved our family, the fact that he went out of his way to tell me this. And I just thought that that was a wonderful thing. And, and you know, just imagine, I mean, just the, the irony of saying, oh, I love God, but I hate all his children. Does that really convey a love for God? And here John says, listen, if anyone says I love God and then hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So you're saying if you can't love the person right in front of your face, don't pretend that you that you have a genuine love for God, because God's the one that created that person, and that person was created in the image of God. And no, they are not perfect yet. Uh, they struggle just like you struggle, but at the same time, actively seek what is best for them, even at great personal cost to yourself, because that's exactly the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated for us. That's the kind of love that God, who is love, has demonstrated for us. And so John elaborates on that here, and I love the way he says this as the Holy Spirit gave him these words to say. Now, in just a moment, we're going to open up for discussion. Uh, I will tell you that next week we're, uh, is, is July 6th, and normally we we separate these Bible studies uh, with a, a couple weeks in between, but because we want to get our schedule back on track here, uh, we're actually going to have Bible study two weeks in a row. So if you're available to join us next week, we'd love to have you. Next week, we're going to be talking about what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, this idea of overcoming the world. And then on July 20th, we're going to be uh, talking about the testimony about Jesus that's referenced in 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 6. So we'd invite you, if you're able to come, July 6th and 20th, to join us for our online Bible study. We'd certainly love to have you. But those are coming up on those days, and we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 both evenings. One other thing that I'll show you here, and, and I know some on the call already have it, uh, I'd invite you to check out uh, my latest book, Dwell on These Things, which is a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. Spent a lot of time writing this book, and it just came out one month ago. And so I'm trying to do my best to make sure people know that it's available. But it's th- one of the things that I'm really grateful for is that the Lord has allowed for distribution of this book through the publisher to be pretty vast. And uh, people are telling me they're finding it in bookstores all around the country, which is certainly an encouragement to me. I'm really grateful that it's that easy to find, but it's also easy to find on Amazon. So take a look at Dwell on These Things. It's a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And if that sounds interesting to you, I hope it, I hope it would be, and I hope it's an encouragement. But you could go to DesireJesus.com. And the publisher allowed me to put uh, several chapters of the book right there on the website for free that people could just download and read right from the website. So you could actually check it out for free and see if it's something that you would find useful uh, at DesireJesus.com. But let's open up our discussion time here. So let me stop our screen share. And uh, all right, so we've got everybody on here, and I've got a, a starter question here for us to see kind of where we're at. So when if you if you take a stab at this, if you uh, decide to to respond, don't forget to unmute your mic. Uh, but I want to jump back to First John chapter four, verse ten, and uh, so just kind of be thinking about that verse in mind. If you have your Bible in front of you, you can just take a look at it. But 
my question related to that verse is this. Why does it matter that God loved us first? And uh, kind of my follow-up to that question is, how does understanding that truth impact our overall theology? So why does it matter that God loved us first? Why is that significant? Does anyone want to take a stab at that? So what do you think? Why does it matter that God loved us first? Any guesses? Don Kaler, you breaking the ice for us tonight? You passing the torch to somebody else? You're muted, so I can't hear you. So if uh, if you are trying to say something. I was having trouble finding the unmute thing. There uh, you go. Do you have an opinion okay, about so that? Now I find the unmute thing, but I, I got a complete uh, brain block on what you just asked. <laughs> so why do you think it matters that God loved us first, as opposed to us loving God first? John makes it clear in this passage of Scripture that God loved us first. Do you think that has any sort of difference on our life, on our theology, on our faith? Yeah, I think so, because if, we, uh, if we're starting from a point of, you know, the love of God and God loving us, God loves with perfect love. So that love that we're, you know, that we're starting with, because he loved us first, is that perfect love. If you, if you start from, like, Don Kaler love, you're, you're going to be, you know, let me say off a little bit uh, as far <laughs> as uh, the reality of it. And that's one of the things I know in my personal life. The longer now that I'm uh, connecting with God and realizing the love he has for us, and I, when I think about the love of God, I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it tells us what love is. And I can put God and I can put Jesus in place of the word love in those verses. You know, uh, God is patient and kind. God is never arrogant or rude. But when I try to do that with me, Donnie is patient and kind. He's never arrogant or rude. See, it doesn't, it doesn't. In fact, I remember at the beginning doing that and it was like kind of a joke. Now I'm getting a little bit better at it, but I think another thing that happens is the more I feel his love for me, the more that is what's coming out of me and being shown to other people. Again, as opposed to my version of show and love, because I'm, I'm a tough love kind of person. I'm like the kind of, I love you like your drill instructor in the military or the hardest coach you had when you were playing football. And, you know, but, you know, God is, again, is perfect with the tough love and the chastisement and perfect with the nurturing, forgiving love. None of us are. So I guess that's why it would be more important that uh, we start with his love for us and that he loved us first. And that removes all yeah. the stuff that we think about why God could never love us or, why, uh, you know, I'm an unlovable person because all these things I did. But when you start with the basis of God's love for us and that he did what he did by giving his son. Now that's something that can flow through me. So that, I think that's probably why that's important to start there. I like that. Analysis there. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, and uh, any other thoughts on that? Why anyone else think, you know, why does it matter that God loves us? How does that, how does that truth impact our overall theology? The fact that God loved us first. Those are some good examples from Don. Can I share a thought with you related to this? Um, 
so I, I think we as human beings are very tempted at times to make things very man-centered. So do you, do you know what I mean by that? I, I, I think a lot of times, even issues related to our faith, we, it's like we treat our faith as if we got God's attention somehow, or we initiated this relationship. And I know when I was a, a younger Christian, when I was early in my faith, I basically treated these things like like my faith was something that I started and that I initiated. And that kind of put me on a very man-centered path early on. But as my faith matured and as my understanding of Scripture grew, I began to understand that, wait a second, I didn't start this relationship. It wasn't like one day all of a sudden I got smart and said, um, you know, hey, I, I need God. The only reason I even recognize my need for God is because he opened my eyes to see that need. And he's the one who's been initiating this relationship. He's the one who's been reaching out. He's the one who came to, I didn't go to heaven to get him. He came to earth to get me. And, uh, and so I think that's, a, I think that really has an impact on how we perceive the nature of the Christian faith altogether, whether we think of love as something that that God initiated first, or whether we think of this as us loving God and then Him getting Him responding to us loving Him, I think it's I think it's key. I think it's important. I think it's why John says it here that God loved us first. He came for us while we were still sinners, while we were still lost in our sin, while we were living as his enemies. He came for us. We had nothing to offer him, and yet he came for, for us. And so, I, you know, just understanding the nature of God's grace and mercy with that in mind, I think, is pretty helpful. All right, how about this? When we were looking at, at 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 13, that portion of Scripture, and, uh, and, and soon right after that there, uh, demonstrates for us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, when you look at, when you look at that section there, uh, we're, we're shown that the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He confirms certain things to our hearts. He, re, he re, uh, reveals truth to our hearts and our minds and assures us of things that we should know. So I guess my question is somewhat personal. But I'd love to hear from you guys. How are you experiencing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life as he is pointing your heart in the direction of gospel truth and assuring you of things that, that have deep spiritual consequence? How do you experience his ministry? Do you notice his ministry as he assures you of these things? What do you think? Anyone have a thought? I'll tell you, some people refer to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten member of the Trinity. You know, we think of, of the Father, we think of the Son, but how often do we think of the Spirit and the work that he does? And here John is talking about the things that the Spirit assures our hearts of. So how are you, how are you experiencing the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What do you think? Yeah, Paul. One way uh, that it comes through is uh, when we have, or at least for myself, I can have an aha moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the aha moment uh, brings uh, the truth forward 
and it's normally something that's either inspired or uh, or uh, begun by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and it can come in very ways, varied ways. Um, I, there are some things, you know, that that uh, we do ecumenically, uh, and um, it's interesting because the Holy Spirit will often come in and say, uh, "Yeah, this is this is where." Uh, you should be going. He'll he'll lean on you a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, and in other ways he'll say you, you want to be careful here. Yeah. So, I mean, it's only one aspect, but I, I think the aha moment is is one is one aspect of the work of the spirit, and and you have to discern too because uh, discern you have to discern if it's of the Holy Spirit too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he who he who loves and lives in the spirit. Um, it, it's there. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, fascinating to see the times where the Holy Spirit points us in the direction of truth. He he confirms truth to us, and he gives us insight and aha moments. I I remember um, it as a child. I remember one of my Sunday school teachers encouraging us before we read scripture. She would encourage us to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us clarity into what we were about to read. And I began that, that, uh, that pattern at that season of my life uh, and, and just asking for clarity and understanding because that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit as he, as he opens our eyes to truth, gives us aha moments. I've even had, and maybe some of you have experienced this sort of thing too, they always say if you want to learn something, attempt to teach. And uh, I have had moments where I, I have stepped into the pulpit prepared to say something specific. And during those moments have had, like Paul referenced there, aha moments that became very clear to me that the Holy Spirit was nudging me to say something very specific or to apply the portion of Scripture that we were looking at in a very specific way, because it might be helpful for somebody who would be in the hearing of that, Uh, or where something that didn't even stand out to me when I was preparing for a message all of a sudden stands out to me while I'm I'm preaching on the passage. And and I believe that those are, are moments where the Holy Spirit is ministering to us and guiding and directing us toward the truth. I don't. I don't think that it's just guiding us, but I think we 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 are pastoring a congregation, and it's guiding the congregation because um, when I was very young in my priesthood, uh, and I'm sure all of us did it, we wrote out our sermon. Everything would be, you know, you had, and and you had this text, and you worked on it, and you were really proud of what you worked on. You know that you were delivering real important uh, uh, information. Uh, teaching to to the people, and uh, the older I got, I can't remember the last time I had I had a written message. I won't say that I don't prepare because I do, but I don't write my sermons out. And the only way anybody's going to have them is they're, if they're going to dictate uh, from from a recording or if they're really good, you know, writing them down, because the Holy Spirit moves you where it will. And uh, it, there's an there's an aspect of scripture there too, when, when the uh, apostles, uh, you know, were asking the Lord, what you know, how, how are we going to handle this type of situation? And Jesus said, don't worry about it. Uh, the Holy Spirit will put the words in your mouth. And uh, it's a very true thing. Um, I, but I remember 
the pride I had in those early sermons. And uh, so that, that those sermons didn't reflect the Holy Spirit. Uh, they reflected me. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Where uh, we want to make sure that the spirit is the one guiding and, and directing the things we're trying to say and, and, and teach. Excellent. Yeah. Julia. Um, I'm finding in my life that I'm, I'm a tough love kind of girl too, Don. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm finding in my life that, um, and I, and I believe that to a certain extent I've been raised that way. And I, I'm actually really appreciate my parents for being that way, but they were not only tough love, they were compassionate and loving and generous and so forth. So I think that's for me specifically, I know over the last few years that uh, the Holy Spirit has guided me towards, you know, acting compassionately with other people. Um, and you know how like in verses 19 to 21, I always struggle with that. I always struggle with well, it's easy for me to love God because God is lovable yeah, <laughs> and right. he's perfect and whatever he says is always right. So, you know, if it's diff- if it's a difficult um, lesson that he says, I can accept it because I know he's always right. Mm. But with people, we never know if they're right, if they have the right motives and they're difficult and whatever the case would be. And so for me, I've struggled with that passage so many times. Like, I don't think that's a... Like, to me, I'm like, it's obvious that God is very lovable and we as human beings are not always lovable. (laughs) So that's always been a struggle. But recently over the past few years, like I said, I think that he's just been guiding me. The Holy Spirit is guiding me more like, you know, people treat me with compassion because I'm not perfect. And uh, yet I have not been doing such (laughs) with others. I'm quick to, you know, uh, see the thing that upsets me that doesn't line up with the Bible. And so I think, you know, I'm doing you a favor by t- criticizing you, by telling you, by bringing it up that, hey, you're offline and you need to get it together. And to me, I have thought that that's love. <laughs> and in one way, I think it is, but this is what the Holy Spirit is, is showing me is like kind of the compassion of like putting yourself in somebody else's shoes because, you know, we all come from we all kind of behave and come from different, you know, journeys and our behavior is because of our circumstances and so forth. So I think that that's been quite, quite a lesson for me, you know, and it's something that um, I'm just kind of starting to put into practice. <laughs> so, so a lifelong lesson is, is what I'm hearing for, you know, like a, this is a gradual overtime type of thing, you know, as, as the Lord's impressing that upon your heart, which is a, a great, a great thing to notice because I think we always need to remain teachable at every stage of this journey, right? There's always one, every time, every time we've, we've mastered one thing, there's always the next thing that the Lord wants us to see. It's like, great. You know, here you are. Now here's the next part of your journey here. I like what John, uh, thank you, Julia, for saying that. And I like what, uh, what John says in that, in, um, you know, when you look at verses 17 and 18 there in the passage too, where he talks about this idea of perfect love casting out fear. So let me, let me ask this for our group here. And I, I don't know if you'll have an answer for this or not. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Um, the day of judgment is coming, right? I mean, biblically, it's, it's all throughout scripture. We could, we could deny, I mean, this world lives like the day of judgment is not coming, <laughs> but the day of judgment is coming. So 
what will you be confident on or what will you be confident of? I should say on that day that, I mean, that day is coming for all of us. What will you be confident of on that day? You know, John here says perfect love casts out fear. Well, I believe that to be true. So what will we be confident of on that day? Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to refer uh, kind of the last two questions with the Holy Spirit. That's where my confidence would come from on the day of judgment. And also I see, I think uh, a lot of church going people don't put as much emphasis on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is actually the God, the part of the Trinity that is with us now, right? God, the father and Jesus is at the right hand of the father. When Jesus left, he told his disciples, I must go because when I go to comforter and the counselor will come, which is the Holy spirit. Even when he asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the one and only son of God. He said, that didn't come from you. See, that came from the spirit. So I'm on board with what Paul said. And uh, the, the way I, I try to connect with the spirit in the, uh, in the sense of like, um, Proverbs 3, 6, it says, in all your ways, acknowledge the Lord, and he will make your path straight. The way I acknowledge him in all my ways is try to connect with the spirit, with whatever I'm doing, whether it's answering a question you have on the podcast or uh, preparing my message or dealing with the people that uh, I have trouble loving. And I also get my conviction, like these verses that talk about how can you, you can't love God if you don't love your brother. Mm-hmm. See, the Holy Spirit really convicts me on that because I love God. And, and, and I heard Julia say, well, yeah, it's pretty easy to love God. He's perfect. He never leaves or forsakes you. And, but people, not so much. So the Holy Spirit is what I need to do that. And even when I'm in the scripture, if I believe what I believe about the scripture, all being inspired by the Holy Spirit, so whoever wrote what they wrote, whether we're in John or I'm dealing right now in uh, Obadiah and Jonah, I'm preaching on this week, the Holy Spirit gave them the words to write. So if I connect with God's spirit, I'm going to get from those passages of scripture what I need. And it's the same spirit, same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, that gave Jesus Christ in his bodily form, the ability to do what he did is available to us. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is how important the spirit is, because the spirit is actually the God that I have my relationship with here. When I call upon, oh, God, please help me. It's the spirit that I get. You know, the I open the Bible up to the passage I'm looking and I see something that was completely different. I just preached on uh, Hosea, I think, two weeks ago. And every time I thought of Jose, I always thought as me being Hosea and, uh, you know, could I accept Gomer back? You know, my prostitute wife out there with the adult. And I realized in the spirit convict me, dude, you're not Hosea, you're Gomer. And you've been cheating on the Lord and, you know, you need to be bought back. And then I get I got goosebumps right now because Christ bought me back by what he did. So I guess the spirit's what it's all about as far as I see it, because he's the, uh, the member of the Trinity that's here right now. And, and I don't know, is that theologically sound or not, but I'm sure you can straighten me out if I'm off place with that. No, you, you, I, 
yeah, I mean, we, it, it's interesting because John makes it clear that, that we uh, ab- abide in the Father, and Christ also says I, I, that he would be with us to the very end of the age. Uh, but we're, we're very much living in the era of time where the Holy Spirit is uh, doing a very noticeable work. And we were told this is this is to your benefit that Christ says it's to your benefit that I that I go because the Father and I we will send the Spirit and uh, the Spirit will do His work. So, but it's just interesting to see the the work that He's doing is very much uh, apparent. And but he he himself seems to be forgotten. Francis Chan has a book called The Forgotten God, and the the whole point of that is how we how we forget how the Holy Spirit is doing his work. It, it, we're, we treat him as almost the forgotten member of the Trinity. And here you have uh, John clarifying one aspect of the work of the Spirit. And, um, and I, I'll also say this, you know, one of the questions I asked a few moments ago, and we ended up talking about a variety of things. What will you be confident of on the day of judgment? This is what I'll be confident of. And I I think this is where we'll finish up tonight, too, because I notice that we're just about at our time. On the day of judgment, I am not going to be able to come before the Lord and stand there and make a list of, you know, let's say the, the question is phrased to me this way. Why should you be given eternal life? Why should you be allowed to enter into my kingdom for all eternity? I'm not going to be able to stand there and point to my good works. I'm not going to be able to stand there and say, oh, well, on, on uh, weekday nights, I led an online Bible study or on, on uh, you know, this morning I read my Bible and then this day I shared my faith and this day I, I uh, shared food with someone that looked hungry uh, and, and say that that's the reason for entrance into heaven. That's not how it works. All those things are wonderful and all those things are things I should do. But the only thing I'm going to be able to say is Jesus Christ is the propitiation for my sin. He satisfied your righteous wrath on the cross as he took my sin upon himself, and that's the only reason I can come and stand before you. And uh, and so when I think about being confident on the day of judgment, it's not anything to do with confidence in myself because I get some things right and I get some things very wrong. And uh, we're all in the same boat here. It's not, a, it's not a portion of Scripture that's encouraging us to, to be confident in ourselves. What we're going to be confident of, and the reason we could approach that day without fear, is because we're so certain that what Jesus did is absolutely effective. It's absolutely exactly what we needed. And he did that for us. And so we can stand with confidence before the throne, knowing that our sin is absolutely forgiven and that we are no longer seen as enemies of God. We're seen as his family, as we trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Any, any final thoughts as we kind of wrap this up and then prepare to, to jump into 1 John chapter 5 next week? Any final thoughts? Yeah, Paul, finish us up. I was just going to say that um, um, I sort of agree with Don, but I, uh, because the Holy Spirit is uh, is the one who is acting now uh, until our Lord comes again. But we have to remember that, uh, again, this goes back to our early days, but the question, where is God? God is everywhere. So God is here with us, the Father. And Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, I am with them. I'm not talking from up in heaven, but I am with them. 
So the, the fact is that the Holy Trinity is so close, uh, the three persons, that every aspect of the Holy Trinity uh, contains every other aspect of the Holy Trinity. That's an important thing, I think. And also for us, uh, for, for us of the Catholic bent, uh, today, June, June the uh, 29th, is also the Feast of Peter and Paul. And uh, the words uh, that were read at Mass today, uh, the scripture, uh, really speaks to, uh, <clears throat> to the strength that both, uh, both of these apostles had. Uh, and uh, they're, they're, they, didn't fear, uh, they didn't fear judgment, and I don't think that they, that they uh, even, uh, you know, had... G- Jesus uh, said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So uh, that's a simple statement. But also, Jesus said in another portion of scripture that I know your heart. Uh, I know your heart. You don't have to. You don't have to stand before me and say, "Well, this is why you should." We, I, my image of uh, final judgment will be just Jesus already knows our hearts, and uh, we won't have to say anything. Uh, not only will we not have to say anything. But I have I have a tremendous hope in that uh, the the highest uh, and I, I'm not denying hell now, but I have the highest hope uh, I have the highest hope that that perfect love is uh, merciful forgiveness, and if if perfect love is merciful forgiveness, and if God has perfect love, then I I, I have a lot of hope for uh, for all of my brothers, even Don down there. Yeah, we, we we have we have a lot to be thankful for, and we simply accept it. And because uh, there were no there was no fear in uh, either Peter or Paul, uh, they they approached uh, they approached uh, their final time because they knew that this was only a, a passage, uh, 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 the next step, if you will, uh, to uh, being with God. Because if we stay in this earth. We can't be with God, but I mean, we could, but it wouldn't be as complete and perfect as when we're, as when we will be with him and see him face to face. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, this was enjoyable as always to think about. And I, I, I think um, I always appreciate the insights and the thoughts that you guys contribute to this. I, and I know that those that that uh, give me feedback from our podcast listening audience are really grateful for the insights that you guys share as well. I think it makes for a very interesting discussion as we bring our different experiences and perspectives to the table here. So thank you to, to each of you for sharing. And uh, we're going to jump right back into to First John next week. So it's a, a rare back-to-back, two weeks in a row. Uh, but if you're able to come, we'd love to see you again next Tuesday evening. Same time, same Zoom channel. And, uh, and we'll, we'll bring it back together again, and we'll meet two weeks in a row. And uh, uh, Lord willing, is, uh, unless the Lord comes first, and if he comes first, even better. <laughs> so ha- have a lovely evening, everybody, and look forward to catching you again next week. Have a great night, everyone. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. 
Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more. 